0: Welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you in the wee hours of September 2nd, 2023. As always, from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side. Well, on this rant, I'm going to throw some cold water on all the hype about the BRICS Summit that was just held in a convention center outside Johannesburg last weekend, bringing together the leaders of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, hence BRICS. Except Putin stayed home, because he was afraid of getting arrested and sent to The Hague if he left Russia. But that didn't prevent his fanboys on the tanky pseudo-left, that is, those who are enthusiastic for Russian tanks, from engaging in all this shameless shilling about how BRICS is challenging Western hegemony, blah, 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 blah. I mean, this really betrays their utter lack of any political principle. I mean, I can almost, almost understand rallying around Xi Jinping, because at least he rules in the name of a communist party, and even fascist Putin, because Russia used to be communist, and maybe you just didn't get the word that the Soviet Union collapsed. But reactionary Hindu nationalist, Islamophobic, genocide-tainted Narendra Modi? Get the fuck out of here! This is your wonderful alternative to Western hegemony, regimes that put Muslims in concentration camps, all three of them, most advanced with the Uyghurs of Xinjiang in Xi's People's Republic of China, but Putin is preparing similar camps for the Crimean Tartars and Modi and his followers for Muslims in Kashmir and Assam. This is all documented. I blogged about it and linked to credible sources on the website, countervortex.org. This is fact. I mean, I just don't get it. An abject betrayal of any principle whatsoever. But the notion that these countries really constitute a unified bloc is also transparently false, however good a show they put on in Johannesburg. This was demonstrated quite unambiguously by this little affair that exploded in the media in India immediately after Modi got back from the summit this week. Did you happen to catch this? India just lodged a diplomatic protest with China over a new official map of China's national territory, a so-called standard map, released by Beijing's Ministry of Natural Resources, showing areas claimed by India as part of China, specifically two territories in the Himalayas. First, Aksai Chin, which is small and basically uninhabited high desert, but very strategic, and actually under Chinese control, but claimed by Delhi as part of the Union territory of Ladakh, adjacent to, and recently administratively carved out of, the state of Kashmir, which is, of course, itself disputed with Pakistan. And uh, more alarmingly, the map shows all of the state of Arunachal Pradesh, as Chinese territory in India's northeast, a region we've been discussing on this podcast, as it is rife with underreported conflicts. Now, these border disputes are definitely underreported, but they could explode at any time and potentially escalate internationally and plunge the world into war. This is not hype. Hear me out. This second dispute over Arunachal Pradesh actually came to a border clash between India and China as recently as late last year, but there have also been clashes in recent years over Aksai Chin. Let's take a look at that one first. Geographically, Aksai Chin is either a western extension of the Tibetan Plateau, or a part of the eastern wall of the Kashmir Valley, depending on how you look at it, and includes a pass through the mountains that could serve as an invasion route. And more importantly, it straddles both of Western China's restive internal colonies, Xinjiang and Tibet. Aksai Chin has been under de facto Chinese control since Indian independence, and possibly before, but it is so remote that nobody paid it much attention until the late 1950s when China built a military road through it, the so-called Karakaram Highway, in order to connect Tibet with Xinjiang. Both territories it was then trying to establish firm control over. Recall the repression of the Tibetan uprising of 1959, which sent the Dalai Lama into exile in India. Construction of the highway was challenged by India, leading to the brief border war between the two countries. In 1962, India did not succeed in taking the territory. A so-called Line of Actual Control, LAC, was established, a de facto border which India does not recognize as legal. And Pakistan, which had also claimed Aksai Chin as a part of Kashmir, subsequently ceded it to China in defiance of India's claim to the territory. There were reports of a deal between Delhi and Beijing in 2005 recognizing Chinese sovereignty in Aksai Chin. In the deal, India reportedly agreed to recognize the Chinese claim to Aksai Chin in exchange for Beijing's recognition of India's claim to Sikkim, an Indian state sandwiched between Nepal and Bhutan, which China had theretofore insisted was an independent country, as it had been a British and then Indian protectorate until official union with India in 1975. China also agreed to recognize India's control over Arunachal Pradesh, which follows the Sino-Indian border between Bhutan and Burma. But that deal now seems to be entirely forgotten, probably because in the intervening years, the extreme nationalists, Xi Jinping and Narendra Modi, have both come to power. And this deal being forgotten was amply demonstrated by the Media coverage of the dispute in India this past week, New Delhi TV reports, based on private satellite data, that Chinese forces have started carving tunnels and shafts into a killside in Aksai Chin, apparently to, quote, construct multiple reinforced shelters and bunkers for soldiers and weaponry, end quote. This from NDTV, New Delhi Television, August 30th. This conflict last came to violent clashes in May and June of 2020, one clash in each month. The second turning deadly. It began in early May when troops hurled stones at each other across the LAC, line of actual control, with each side accusing the other of having crossed into its territory. China subsequently mobilized thousands of troops backed up by armored vehicles to Aksai Chin. This led to new clashes the following month, in which 20 Indian soldiers, including a colonel, were killed and several others injured. Chinese soldiers reportedly used nail-studded iron rods as well as throwing stones. By mutual agreement, neither side in the disputed areas carries firearms. But these were the first deaths in a China-India border skirmish since October 1975, when four militiamen from India's Assam rifles were killed in a clash with Chinese soldiers along the border with Arunachal Pradesh, which we'll get to next. There was some controversy over whether any Chinese troops were killed in this second clash in June 2020. Beijing did not acknowledge any, but V.K. Singh, Delhi's Minister for Roads and Transport, said, quote, If 20 were martyred on our side, then there would have been at least double the casualties on their side. End quote. And a Chinese blogger on the platform Weibo, basically the Chinese Twitter, was imprisoned for speculating online that Beijing had covered up casualties in the clash. One Q. Ziming of Nanjing was sentenced to eight months in prison for, quote, slandering heroes and martyrs and, according to Chinese media accounts, received a lighter sentence because he truthfully confessed to his crime, quote After this, both sides positioned tens of thousands of soldiers, artillery, tanks, and fighter jets along the LAC. There were eventually talks to de-escalate the tensions, which finally succeeded in doing so after the proverbial fits and starts although the area is still pretty militarized. Okay, next we turn to Arunachal Pradesh, an Indian state bordering Chinese-held Tibet on the north and the conflicted states of Assam and Nagaland, which we have discussed before, on the south. China says it considers the whole of Arunachal Pradesh its territory, calling it South Tibet, a claim India, of course, rejects. New Delhi cites a treaty that then self governing Tibet signed with Britain in 1914, the Simla Convention, that ceded the territory to British ruled India in exchange for British recognition of Tibet's independence. This is the so called McMahon Line named for British colonial administrator Henry McMahon, which is accepted as the legal boundary by India, but not by China. In the 1960s, Arunachal Pradesh served as a staging ground for CIA operations in support of Tibetan guerrillas, the so-called Kampa insurgency for the Tibetan region of Kham, K H A M, which lies immediately across the border. Now, Beijing has variously claimed either all of Arunachal Pradesh or focused on the Tawang sector, that immediately on the Indian side of the line, which is where the Kampa insurgency had its staging area. And it was along the border in Tawang that things erupted into clashes, just last. December. Did you even hear about this? The December 12th clash was acknowledged by both sides, with each admitting casualties, although no fatalities, fortunately, and each blaming the other for encroaching on its territory. Surprise, surprise. Again, by mutual agreement, the border troops on either side in this area do not carry firearms. The clash came two weeks after China officially protested a high-altitude military exercise between India and the United States in the Himalayas, alleging that the war drill close to the line of actual control violated the spirit of bilateral agreements for de-escalation. The Yud-Abyas 2022 exercise in Uttarakhand state took place within 100 kilometers of the LAC. In a touching testament to the power of globalization, Google is appeasing both sides in the dispute. I know, surprise, surprise. Google Maps, as it appears in China, shows Arunachal Pradesh as Chinese territory, and as it displays in India, as Indian territory. The wisdom of Solomon, eh? Okay, now we're going to um, go back to the last escalation of tension over Arunachal Pradesh, which concerns the Dalai Lama's visit to the state in November 2009. Now, the Dalai Lama is, of course, based at Dharmasala in the Indian state of Himachal Pradesh, where the Tibetan government in exile is based. And it was, of course, seen as a provocation by Beijing that he visited an area claimed by China. There was a very interesting commentary on this at the time by the columnist for The Economist magazine, who goes by the pen name Banyan under the amusing title, Himalayan histrionics. (laughs) I quote from it, China's urgency is reinforced by the Dalai Lama. His flight from Tibet in 1959 via Tawang fed into border tensions then, and he backs India's border claims today. There is even talk that his reincarnation might one day be found there. That would be an excruciating outcome for the Chinese communists who demand the right to control Tibetans' relations with the divine. For they could hardly declare such a reincarnation illegitimate on territorial grounds. End quote. But that's not actually true. China could try to do so. Declare the reincarnation illegitimate. Back in 2007, the People's Republic of China actually did ban unauthorized reincarnation. I am not kidding you. This is from a BBC account of November 28th of that year. Dalai Lama steps up succession rhetoric, noting that the current Dalai Lama, Tenzin Gyatso, now a very old man, had actually broached the Dalai Lama becoming an elective post- Rather than the Council of High Lamas choosing his presumed reincarnation, saying, quote, The institution of the Dalai Lama is up to the Tibetan people. End quote. And this was in response to Beijing passing legislation declaring that any reincarnations of Lamas, presumably including the Dalai Lama, without government consent, were illegal. So, ironically, the exiled Dalai Lama moves toward modernity, suggesting his successor could be elected rather than chosen by the cosmic forces of reincarnation, while the officially atheist People's Republic of China, bizarrely, attempts to play a Buddhist fundamentalist card against the Dalai Lama, insisting that the ancient ways be honored, as long as the cosmic forces Submit to Beijing's will, of course. You can't make this shit up. And I'm going to note a final strange twist to all of this, which is that this standard map released by China that has sparked this new diplomatic imbroglio with India also shows territory claimed by Russia as part of the People's Republic but Moscow isn't making a big deal out of it. Been entirely silent, in fact, presumably because it needs China's acquiescence or more ambitiously support in the Ukraine war. Now, this is a considerably smaller territory, but still, this was reported by a Russian publication called The Insider, August 30th, in Russian. I had to put it through Google Translate. I quote, bolshoi Usoriski Island, located in the Amur River, is marked on the standard map as completely Chinese. According to a 2008 agreement, it was divided between China and Russia. On the new map, however, it is marked as the easternmost point, quote unquote, of the People's Republic of China. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the Russian Federation has not yet reacted to this, end quote. And if you look this up on Google Maps, you will see that this island is indeed at the easternmost point where China's Heilongjiang province borders Russia's Khabarovsk Krai, and more specifically, a smaller entity within Khabarovsk Krai, the Jewish Autonomous Oblast of Birobidzhan, created by Stalin to keep the Jews very far out of the way <laughs> in the most remote part of Siberia, and apparently still um, politically extant, although I believe today it is completely bereft of Jews, Bolshoi-Ussuriski Island, is actually at the confluence of the Amur River, known to the Chinese as the Helangjiang, and the Isori River, known to the Chinese as the Wusuli. And you may recall that China and the Soviet Union actually fought a two-week war in March 1969 over a disputed island in this area, that of Zen Bao, or Damansky, on the Usori, or Wusuli, river. Several were killed on both sides, and this is really what cemented the Sino-Soviet split. To go over the history a little, the Amur or Heilongjiang, river, was established as the Russo-Chinese border in the 1858 Treaty of Aigun, and its southern tributary, the Isori, or Wusuli, was added to the borderline, further increasing Russia's territory in the 1860 Treaty of Peking. However, these treaties never defined the status of islands within these rivers. That only happened as late as 2008 when a deal was reached in which China received several hundred islands, including Zenbao, or Damansky, and Bolshoi-Ussuriski Island was divided, with half going to China and half going to Russia. And now Beijing has just released this map showing Bolshoi-Ussuriski as 100% Chinese, and poor, humiliated Putin is having to eat this indignity poor fellow. But seriously, as we discussed in our podcast, the looming breakup of Russia on April 9th, 2022, China, which controlled much of what is now the Russian Far East until the 1850s, has its own long-term expansionist ambitions in this region, which constitute a long-term fault line in the supposed Friendship without limits between Moscow and Beijing. But meanwhile, the China-India dispute is a much more short-term and immediate fault line in the supposed BRICS unity, and could, I hate to tell you, spark a new world war. The next border skirmish could get out of hand and escalate to the use of firearms, and the big guns, stationed by both sides, quite nearby, to both Aksai Chin and in Arunachal Pradesh. Or India and Pakistan could go to war over Kashmir yet again, and China, clearly hungry for territory, could this time come to the defense of Pakistan. All three of these countries have nuclear weapons, recall... China is the only one of the five officially recognized nuclear nations under the Non-Proliferation Treaty, NPT, to be currently increasing its arsenal, although it is still much smaller than the U.S. or Russian arsenals. India and Pakistan are so-called non-declared nuclear powers, or NPT outliers, and official data is not available for them, but they are also believed to be increasing their arsenals. This is the three-way nuclear arms race in Asia, which is getting very, very little attention compared to the obsession with North Korea. Anyway, as China and India go to war, the U.S. will be forced to choose sides and decide that countering China is more important than grooming Pakistan – Which is now closer to Beijing than Washington anyway. Seeking to expand his perimeter before the US can impose a naval blockade, Xi will order an invasion of Taiwan. Kim Jong un will simultaneously take the opportunity to invade South Korea. Russia will also have to choose sides, will dump India for China, and could attack or threaten to attack the Baltic states or Poland, all NATO members to open a Western Front, and even if they only intend the bluff, brinksmanship is a dangerous game, and it could turn into a shooting war in spite of their attentions. One side or another will launch a preemptive nuclear strike in one of these theaters, and the threshold will be crossed, and the nukes will be flying everywhere. This could begin tomorrow, in oxide, Chin, or Arunachal Pradesh. And New York City could be radioactive rubble a week later. You heard it here first. But meanwhile, don't believe the hype about BRICS being a unified block against the West, okay? The love fest in Johannesburg was mostly for show. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org, where everything that I've been ranting about is fastidiously blogged up, hyperlinked, documented with legitimate sources. Support us on Patreon. We got some new supporters this week. A big, grateful shout-out to you guys. You're the best. But all of you who are listening without paying, time to shell out. Just throw us a buck or two per week to keep us going. Patreon.com slash countervortex. Join the countervortex, join the resistance, and rant on you next time.